Fang of Talk Star Wars. I am the I am saying here. I am joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey people. Hey everybody. Spencer, we're finally got new Star Wars content. It took a year. It's yes. one whole year. I mean, unless you're into like the Star Wars Legends thing, not my thing. I wasn't into a big like anime non-canon stories. Just me. Mm. That's just me. <laughs> um, but no, we have new Star Wars content. We have the first chapter of Book of Boba Fett debuted last Wednesday. Spencer, what did you think? It surprised me. I was kind of caught off guard. I mean, I, as we talked about in our preview, wasn't sure what to expect, but it really wasn't this. It was enjoyable. It was well done. It was confident in a way I didn't expect with the first episode of this show. In fact, it opened with basically almost what could be considered 10 minutes of kind of like Wally-like silent film at the start and really persisted with very light dialogue but heavy on the cinematography and atmosphere. I'm in. That's, that's just confident filmmaking that I appreciate and gives some good signs going forward. So I know it's Book of Boba Fett. It's technically its own series, but it's the it's clear to me that it's the same team that did Mandalorian because Absolutely. it did not feel like a new show in that you use the word confident. It didn't seem to me like a show getting its sea likes. It seemed to me like a show mm-hmm. continuing to tell a story that we already started and the team already knows how to do it. They know the format. They know the music. They know the staging. They know the pacing. They know everything, and it felt that way, and I I was very pleased with it. I thought it was very high-quality, half-hour television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the few quibbles I have we can discuss, but otherwise, th- I think this sets an excellent foundation and gives me a fair amount of confidence going into the rest of the season. That this is the guys we know. These are the guys that know their craft, and these are the guys that clearly love Star Wars. They're bringing little, little tidbits from anywhere and everywhere that they enjoyed about the prior series. So th- this will, I'm increasingly confident this will be a delight to experience. Hell yeah. So this is chapter one, Stranger in a Strange Land. We've been Very doing this. Line title. It has been a long time since we did this. So Spencer, we, we got on the call and Spencer was like, what are our segments? What is this? I had to reach back into our bag to figure out our segments. Our segments are a recap. which starts with a recap. I will do a recap. Spencer's going to shock you. Not a lot of notes for me on the recap this week. Mm, mm. Typically when I do a recap, so the last show that we did was called uh, Line of Succession, where we reviewed every episode of HBO Succession. That is a dialogue-heavy show. Some of the oh, yeah. some of the the recap notes I had were upwards of I don't know fifteen pages of like mm-hmm. single space handwritten notes to do a, a, a episode of the podcast. This is one and a half. <laughs> and you probably and double down on certain lines of dialogue to even make it one and a half for this episode. And it was one watch through for me to do that. So the recap this week and not a lot of heavy lifting for me, but I do think it will generate a lot of very interesting discussion. Then we will go to line of the episode where we discuss the best line of dialogue. Not a lot to choose from, but we do have some nominees. We do have some things that I think uh, could potentially be the best line of the episode. Then we'll go to nostalgic moment of the episode. So what we do with this segment is we try to talk about, okay, Spencer and I, lifelong Star Wars fans. We approach mm-hmm. it a little bit differently in, in our fandom. I mean, I think Spencer is a really OG. Tell me if I'm misspeaking here, but you're really an OG. You like the original three. That is what sucked you into the series. That is the gold standard for you. I'm a little bit more expanded uh, in, in my, my fandom. I really liked the first three movies, episode one, two, three. I even liked episode seven, eight, nine, if you can mm-hmm. fucking believe it. So... We we approach it differently, but we both are big Star Wars fans, so we try to talk about what is the nostalgic moment of the episode, both for us, but then also what we feel like is going to generate interest in, out there in the fandom. And then, Spencer, I wanted to hit you with a new segment. Tell me what you think Surprises. about this. We can try it out. Tell me what you think about it. Don't. Okay. I want to do... I want to do an episode... or This is just for Book of Boba Fett, but I want to do a segment where... We do a comparison to Mandalorian. 
because obviously this is done by oh, sure, yeah. people. Obviously, this is right in line with the quality, or at least the initial episode of those Mandalorian episodes. So what I want to do is a, a you know, you watch Gladiator, the Empire yes. comes out, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes. He wavers the thumb. I want to do thumbs up, thumbs down. Is this better or worse than a typical episode of Mandalorian? That's what I want me and you Interesting. to intrigued. throw out. Do we feel like Book of Boba Fett, was this as good? Did, did, was this up to the standard of Mandalorian? Yes or no? We'll start with episode one. We'll continue the segment, see how it goes through the season, if that's okay with you. Damn straight. Awesome. Okay. So before we get in the recap, a little bit of housekeeping, some Mango Talks podcast. If you like this podcast, if you like what you're hearing, you're having a good time. Check out our other podcast you can at mangumtalks.com or you can go to your favorite podcast provider, even the one you're listening in right now. Type in Mangum Talks. You will get all of our stuff. We do a lot of television recap, movie recap podcast, we do a general interest podcast, a book review podcast. There's a lot of stuff out there uh, that we do. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please check that out. But as far as this podcast feed, this is Mangum Talks Star Wars. We did this, we set up this podcast feed very intentionally because. 2022 is going to be the year of Star Wars, Spencer. It's going to be fucking Star Wars Central. So they keep advertising. Dear Lord, the number of new Star Wars shows that are coming out after what has been a full year gap. I don't suspect we're going to get season two of Book of Boba Fett, right? So, like, what we wanted to do is set up a feed where you can come and any new Star Wars content that Spencer and I discover, want to talk about, can record about, we're going to throw on this podcast feed. We're going to start with an episode-by-episode review of Book of Boba Fett, all seven episodes of Book of Boba Fett. You will get an episode of this podcast reviewing it. Then we'll take it from there. I mean, at a minimum, I want to do probably season three Mandalorian. We may do Obi-Wan. We may do Ahsoka. We may have some sort of review of the Andor series. We'll see, but this is, for Mangum Talks, our Star Wars dedicated podcast feed. So please, if you're enjoying it, please subscribe, rate, and review us. We like that stuff. And the more that you give us those five-star reviews, the more it moves us up the ladder, the more people find our podcast, and the more fun we can all have with this. So that is enough of the housekeeping for Mangum Talks Star Wars. Spencer, are you ready for the recap? Damn straight, sir. Let's get it. We start with a oh, nostalgic shot of Jabba's palace I was it so always, excited m- moment I see those spires it immediately ma- makes my heart warm such a I delight know. to see that thing they wanted to lock us in early I think that's Star Wars oh, fans yeah. like, ah, we're going to make sure that we get you get you right in the feels early on and then we see sort of the empty halls of Jabba's palace and even an empty throne we see an empty throne cannot be the same throne Jabba used we have no, a, a Bib Fortuna had to put a new throne in well, it, it's either Bib Fortuna has made some changes or Boba Fett has made some changes. There's clearly some things here that would not have, um, to put it politely, a- accommodated his frame, as it were. There's a throne that doesn't seem to have fit him. There's a back to tank that does not seem like it would have fit Jabba. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of news. I think this is uh, probably the, the throne that Bib Fortuna used. I think it was the one that Boba and Finnick walked in and he was sitting <laughs> on. Shot him off of. Fucking shot him. So there's the throne. And then we get a back to tank and Boba Fett is in the back to tank dreaming so here's the thing i want to talk about the back to tank a little bit so for those that don't know what this is i don't know that we've been introduced to this in mandalorian this was first introduced i believe in empire strikes back with luke when he got back from hoth he needed a little healing uh from his fight with the snow monster out there and living living in yeah and then living in a a, a tauntaun for a Mm -hmm. night so we got in a Bacta tank. Bacta, in the Star Wars universe, uh, Bacta is a, a liquid that does, has massive medicinal qualities, helps people regenerate, 
come about. I know we, we, we saw it again when Anakin, uh, when Obi-Wan beat Anakin. Oh, I have the high ground, Anakin. Yeah. I have the high ground. And he cut <laughs> he him limb from limb. Uh, he, get the, he gets the back to tank treatment. Now, one of the things in the expanded Legends universe that we now is not canon, but you love to talk about on this podcast feed. We bring up all the time. Spitzer loves the ledge, old legend stuff. It's what we grew up with, damn it. Yes, it's part of my childhood. Hell, I'm bringing it up, so you know I like it. Yeah. There was many, many storylines of people getting addicted to Bacta. Yeah, it, it is a it is a healing marvel. It hasn't previously appeared on Mandalorian. I think when Mando got kind of blown back by an explosion, the assassin slash medical slash nurse droid uh, did a brief Bacta spray to his face to help out with his internal brain injuries. So it is... The, it is the ultimate cure-all kind of thing, but the effect of having it is having almost practically magical properties, it can give you a hell of a buzz and a bit of an addiction going forward. So that's a good point, right? So it, I do th actually, I think you're right. I think the, the what was the IG-88 or whatever, droid? It was not IG-88, but it was the same, you know, equivalent of. Yeah. Sprayed him with Bacta and it immediately healed the back of his head. Mando was dying when that thing, mm -hmm. when he got sprayed. And that was like a whoop whoop. That was a that was that was get your cat off the table amount of <laughs> it was Bacta. Very much the spray bottle, yeah. And he's living in it right now for hours at a time, it seems. Mm -hmm. I'm a little concerned that Boba might have uh, a little bit of a back to addiction well, right away. He's he's looking better than we saw in last season. Last season he was still bearing a fair number of scars. This time around, he's looking a lot more pristine, and kudos to our main actors. I had to look this up. Tamara Morrison is 61 years old and is still kicking ass. Hell, uh, Finnick, uh, Ming Na Wen, she's 58, and they're still both kicking ass on this. So, Finnick is 58? That's just suppose Finnick is 58? Does not look it and does hell, a hell of a physicality with the role, so credit to them both. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like one of two things is happening with the back. They, they start with this. And they go back to it at the end of the episode. It's clear to me we're going to get more Boba in the, in the back. Boba and Bacta, we're going to get more of that. I think one of two things is happening. Tell me if you agree with me. One, mm. he's either addicted to Bacta and we're going we're gonna to see this play out. And Finnick is going to have to deal with this with him. Or two, his time in the Sarlacc pit and his time out in the desert, which we're seeing, generated more systemic long-term internal issues than we knew he had and he needs the back to, to stay alive and if it's the night if it's two on uh, my prediction already go, already jumping into prediction we're 10 minutes into the podcast i got a prediction <laughs> in no you. time i think we're gonna see the end of boba fett i think this is this is the final days so i think we will see the death of him before the end of this series if number two is the plot they are going to see play out i I am certainly leaning towards number two. If they off Boba Fett in the middle of this series or at the end of this series, the confidence and balls on these guys, because the fan base will goddamn riot. No, no matter how well it's handled, no matter how well it lands, the fan base will be an up in arms, given that, would it be fair to say that Boba Fett, at least among more secondary characters, top three most beloved character in the entire star wars universe he's pretty darn popular i think he probably is top three maybe maybe four now with the with the advent of baby yoda um but i you know i, I don't know i i just feel like they could kill him here and I, I i don't think boba fett fans could complain because they did basically bring him back to life after return of the jedi we get a bunch of them in mandalorian and we're getting a whole bunch of them here in this series and we got a bunch of them in the clone wars so we, we're not lacking for boba fett content 
It's true. Bringing him back from the expanded universe, making him part of canon, is a wonderful gesture. And I am very much leaning towards your theory number two. I think this they're, they're suggesting that this is a crutch, that the man, we see him take injuries in this, that other characters seemingly take a similar amount of damage and just shrug off, and he's barely even able to stand. I think he's using this as a means to get through the day in a way it's not intended, and it really shows... He's he's carrying his years, he's carrying his injuries, and it's getting harder to bear, to bear that load. Yeah, we'll see. So while Boba is in the Bacta, he we get a dream sequence. This is technically a dream <laughs> sequence, although it does feel like a flashback because they start us out with a shot of Kamino, which they is the, the clone planet that Boba Fett was born on, quote, mm-hmm. born on, created on. And <laughs> then we get a shot of the first Jedi clone battle after the Order 66, um, Geonosis. And Geonosis. And, and we see uh, Boba run out and grab Jango Fett's head. This is after Jango Fett's head was cut off. I believe it was Mace Windu who did that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Boba Fett's looking at it like, what the fuck? So those are two very, you know, obviously important things in his timeline. I think the shot of Kamino shows you. My thought is they gave us Kamino to show you these are real memories and these aren't dreams. That's very possible. I think they're really trying to frame this as that Boba Fett is, in a way that he seems to suggest later is a bit foreign to him, is cycling through his past, is cycling through the prior things that have led to the present moment, which is important for us as an audience to find out what the hell has happened to this man since we've last seen him. I also have to ask you, as a massive fan of the prequels, did it tug on your nostalgia strings a bit to get these flashbacks to these famous moments in the, in, the, in the first three films? Absolutely. Shout out Dave Filoni. You know this is a Dave Filoni special. They love uh, he the loves, prequels. Loves the prequels. I And I did too. Uh, and, it, you know, they those are two things that I think worked with the prequels. The the establishment of the Cologne Army, the backstory at Kamino that Obi-Wan gets when he goes and visits, the, the following of the Cologne Army, and then the execution of Order 66, which also gets a lot of screen time in the animated series Bad Batch, which came out last year. Mm-hmm. Or this year, I guess. Bad Batch this year. Um, mm-hmm. 22, uh, damn, we're two days into it, so I'm still struggling. Sorry, guys. Within the last 365 days. 2021, yeah, Bad Batch came out. But anyway, um, so yeah, some some really important moments that I think did work from the prequels. There was a lot of stuff that did work in the prequels that I feel like the clone stuff kind of did. You didn't think the clone stuff worked? Really? That was kind of like, fandom kind of agrees on that. I think I, I mean I, I think it works fine. I kind of have mixed feelings. The idea of all the stormtroopers, at least the first generation, being clones, I think in some ways it takes away from what the Empire represents and you know what it stands for in some ways, or at least what it what it meant to me as the evil Empire and what it was bringing to bear. But it, it, it works well enough. I think a lot of the scenes it was a start, clones, particularly, but that, I think it works. I mean, you you said it, it at least to start. We know that they aren't clones later on because we know we got Finn. We, we have too much expanded universe and fan and other characters to know that that at some point transitioned away. There's various stories about how that happened yeah. or whatever else. It's, I think I think it works and I think it made some, some some good scenes. I just have mixed feelings about the idea of an evil empire being being powered by a kind of artificially created army rather than the people themselves fostering and furthering the empire. But that's that's just me. Uh, well, I mean, it, it was it was a start, right? And it, and it, I, I think that made sense that it had to do that because. But he, there was a, there was a heel turn reveal from Palpatine where it's like, boom, snap. And he had to have the built-in army. Um, and it stays in character because in the sequel movies, he creates a built-in army through his power of the force over an Exegol as well. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it stays consistent. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, 
let's go back to the, the recap. Cut to Boba in the Sarlacc pit. He wakes up, sees a stormtrooper that is dead next to him being digested from the expanded universe, um, from from Legends canon. Didn't they say that it took like literally th- like a thousand years to be fully digested by a Sarlacc oh, or something crazy yeah, like it, that? It, it's not quick. It is monster. It's the reason Jabba uses it for his torture and punishments. It's 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 a long, agonizing, horrific kind of death. This seems to be accelerating along as being acid poison environment. You die in fairly quick. But maybe when they said digested over a thousand years, you die in a few days. But the process of fully breaking you down takes it takes multiple generations. Yeah, we don't know how long Boba was in there before he saw that dead stormtrooper either. And we don't what? necessarily know that stormtrooper was dead dead. Um, and it did look like, and, and a third thing to try to make the uh, make, support the show here, is that it did seem like he was having trouble getting oxygen. And it, yeah. um, maybe, maybe the stormtrooper just um, passed out and then didn't press the appropriate button to get more oxygen from his tank. What, we know the Stormtrooper had to have been there a ways anyway, because he was clearly not part of the last event that happened with respect to the Sarlacc that we saw. There were no Stormtroopers in the uh, the attack on Jabba's um, barge. I, I, I forget the name of Jabba's barge, actually, right now. But the, that, that particular scene of where Lucan and Leia broke away, there were, there were as, far as, as far as I remember, there were no Stormtroopers present. So clearly that had to have happened at some point in the past before that. Yeah, I guess so. Um, then we... Um, so Boba moves around a little bit takes the oxygen from the stormtrooper tank, uh, gets a few sucks on that to keep himself moving, smart move. Then he uses his wrist to torch the inside of the Sarlacc pit. Uh, Unclear if he actually kills the Sarlacc in this move or if he just makes the Sarlacc so uncomfortable that the Sarlacc burps him up. Unclear. It seems to me like he might have fire torched his way through like the belly lining of the Sarlacc and then got out of it like that way and then climbed up through the sand because he didn't come up through the Sarlacc's quote mouth the opening mm-hmm. that we see in Return of the Jedi he kind of comes up sideways to it so maybe he broke through like the, the interior lining of the, the creature I think he suggested Mandalorian that he killed it but I we can't really tell either way from the scene I do agree that it seemed like he instead of climbing out he more burrowed his way out through the sand then we see an Undertaker-esque fist come up from the sand. If you're wrestling fit, when the Undertaker had the very alive matches, you see the fist just mm. break up through the dirt. You had that scene. Uh, I, I, that imagery is just so powerful from from those buried alive matches from wrestling. And we know from the season two of Mandalorian, Favreau. and season one of Mandalorian, that, that, that some of the people who make this show are wrestling fans. I think there's a little bit of homage there. Uh, Boba crawls out, looks worse for wear. Uh, and he just sort of, interesting to me that he's, Awake in the Sarlacc pit, awake enough to go over, get oxygen, torch the inside, crawl out, get up, and then, bam, passes out for hours. I was guessing that was almost his element of pain. Because we see the the outside of his armor is scorched. The acid in there is strong. His skin does not... Man needs some exfoliation after this. He needs some quality spa treatment before he gets after he gets out of the Sarlacc yeah, pit. Yeah, for sure. He's yeah, very much looking rough, rough for wear. It would seem to me that it would be smart to crawl up to the the barge and crawl into that, at least to get out of the sun. I think he's scarcely conscious by the time he gets out of this thing. I think he had just enough energy to escape and is then practically dead to the world. And then we see Jawas. Jawas we, show up, keeping it consistent with season two of Mandalorian, where we, knew, um, we, we know we knew that, that the, the marshal got the uh, the the armor from he bought up bought off some Jawas bought off some Jawas I, what I love too though is not only do the Jawas rob him they knock his ass out when he tries to wake up yeah. Jawas do not mess around in the Mandalorian version of the Star Wars universe 
I just love that clearly John Favreau really enjoyed the planet of Tatooine and they, they like the creatures on it, and we're just getting more of their culture. We get way more of the Tusken Raiders this episode. We get a little bit of the Jawas though as we go. They take the armor right off his back, leave him there. To die um, in the scorching sun. Leave him there. You know, it would seem to me that they would want to kill him um, as a sort of humanitarian thing, but I guess the Jawas just don't give a fuck, right? I think almost the definition of Jawas is they do not give a fuck. Yeah, and then we see Tusken Raiders come upon him. Um, we are on this podcast forevermore, 100% in perpetuity, without fail, going to call them Tusken Raiders and not sand people or savages ever again. <laughs> Because they have a fucking culture. Terms. They are they have a culture and they are like any other non human species we see in Star Wars. Uh are I'm you, I'm gonna I'm gonna elevate them to the same that we have with every other um creatures that that regularly interact with the humans in a sort of person for person one v one way. Now, Lee, are you accusing Luke Skywalker and Obi Wan Kenobi of using very problematic terms to refer to a proud native people of this land? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's actually kind of cool, right? Like in a it weird is. way because it shows work. it. Yeah, it shows like there has been racism and there has been um, stereotyping and excluding people based on physical characteristics for as long as the human race has existed on this planet that we know of. Mm hmm. So it would only make sense that in this fucking world that people would be racist to other species. And that is exactly what it seems like Obi-Wan and oh, Luke yeah. are. And, and what, what they're giving us more, they're not changing what we've seen before. I mean, the Comanche people in our world have a proud culture, a wonderful history. But if you're, if you're, if you're looking at them from the perspective of a Texas homesteader, they look like the goddamn plague. Same thing applies when it comes to the sand people in terms of raids, I'm sure, as people dealing with them. Absolutely. So these are the... Tusken Raiders and they poke prod him realize he's alive then they give him something that looks like some juice out of maybe a scorpion's tail or something wasn't sure what that was that was very fleshy whatever they squeezed into his five mouth. hour energy they shot him a five hour energy <laughs> proper and, monster uh, into his gut he wakes up actually and looks like enough liquid to kind of really get him rolling I don't I guess it maybe gave him um, some energy uh, along with some hydration well, apparently he's going to need it because their their definition of you know taking him to the next place is to drag him along behind a bantha for an indeterminable distance. Yeah, I guess maybe that's the way that they can ensure that their prisoner uses the least calories possible from the bantha to move him. Um, because if you put him on the bantha's back, the bantha has to carry him, and that's calories and energy that it takes from the bantha. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, bantas, how are they moving, Spencer? Single, Single file. file. <laughs> Consistent. Uh, then they just have him tied to a rope by his hands, dragging him behind. Eventually, Boba falls over and when he can't walk anymore, and they just drag him on his back. And they seem to go in. He goes in and out of consciousness as he's dragged, and they eventually get him to a camp. Then we get the credits. Chapter one, Stranger to Strange Land. Bible which, verse. Which, uh, Bible verse. It's also a Heinlein verse, given which given his influence and the influence of that book on the Star Wars universe, it feels, feels quite appropriate. Yeah, Bible verse fantasy reference uh, mm -hmm. from the Bible. I believe it's uh, it's a what a, a Moses reference. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. You stranger in a strange land is what Mo Moses refers to himself as. Um, Moses, I believe, is a good sort of comparison for Boba Fett in that sort of like um, alienated, cast out, separate from society, having to sort of make his own way, sort of deal. Um, Exodus 222. You're correct, Moses. Well done, sir. 
Yeah, I think there's a there's a comparison to be made there with with Moses and Boba Fett and, and uh, what we see play out on screen as far as how he has to re base it in, a, in effect, restart his life away mm-hmm. from civilization. Um, pull himself up by his bootstraps, create a whole new world. Stranger in a strange land. That's Boba Fett. There we go. Cut back to Boba. He's being held by the Tuscans and a Tuscan kid comes up to him. I love that we get the eight different ages of Tuscans here. This is clearly like almost like an eight, nine year old. I think we get like a 13, 14 year old later. Um, yeah, different ages, different, different yeah. sophistication levels. Yeah, probably his granduncle was killed by Anakin. It's awesome. Mm, yeah, been like that shit. <laughs> well, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. We've talked before on this for this show about everything Favreau and Filoni have been doing. They've been investing a hell of a lot of time in terms of expanding our knowledge about Tuscan Raider, sorry, Tuscan people culture. And it's been really interesting to see what kind of themes they've been drawing from. Last season of Mandalorian, they were drawing heavily on kind of a Native American, American Indian kind of influence going into them. This episode it really seems to be drawing a little bit into Bedouin culture, too, in terms yeah. of the campsite they've set up. And that, that's a nice degree of themes. I mean, Sand People, Tuscan Raiders are clearly drawing from, um, in terms of other fantasy settings, the um, Fremen people from Dune. That, that was a heavy influence in George Lucas. But it's nice to see the real world connections that our current production team are drawing from as well. Yeah, kids poking, hitting Boba Fett. Man, Boba's skin looks awful. You referenced it before. Um, it looks like more to me than just sunburnt and windburnt. Uh, it, it, it looks it, like the, the back to tent did something to Yeah, the back to burned his face. Um, Sarlacc yeah. burned his face a bit. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. So the Sarlacc burned his face. It's, it's really bad. Uh, Boba, as the kids are hitting him, looks over and sees what appears to be the leader of this particular Tuscan outfit. And he's big, well-dressed, has a staff, and he's drinking something outside of his tent. Very nice necklaces. I got, I got to really find out where he's getting these from. He, the guy knows how to do style. Yeah, Boba gets knocked out, flashback to the back to tank, and then quickly back to the dream sequence. He's tied up next to a Rodian. Rodian! By a campfire. Uh, if you don't know what a Rodian is, this is the same uh, alien species as Greedo from the first movie. It, who is very it, famously shot first. No, no, he did not. Glad we had this talk. Also, is it Rodian or have I just been pronouncing it incorrectly as Rodian for the last 35 years? Well, it's hard because of the accent that tomorrow <laughs> has. True, yes. So we don't know. I think he says Rodian. Rodian. So I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be said or if that's his accent. Um, did, did you have a hope that this would be the first Rodian to ever survive more than one episode or one movie of television? just ever in the Star Wars universe. I had no uh, faith he would survive this sequence. Other than like an, other than like Annie's friend dancing next to the pod during the pod race, I think th- I, n- they don't have a long lifespan on these on, on this particular media. Yeah, Rodian. I'm let's go with Rodian. Uh, I he I thought he, I thought Boba was going to kill him, but nope, ends up being killed by a nameless creature we will get to a, later. A thing. Um, some sort of pet lizard is next to him, and the lizard seems to serve the same purpose as a dog for the... The Duskins have pets, Spencer! They do. They seem to be called Massifs, from what I was seeing in the, dur- during the um, subtitles. which seemed more than a little bit similar to Mastiff, and seems to be serving a very similar role. Massifs, yep. All right, Boba starts trying to get Tiny out of his ropes, and the Massif wakes up and comes over to him. Eventually, the d- lizard dog attacks him. Boba knocks it out, then uses the teeth to open his ropes. He tries to help Rodian. And how does always a mistake. Ro- how does our friend the Rodian react? He, he, 
He starts making the alarm. literal alarm noises kind of thing. Fucking asshole. Yep. Uh, he is, he's asked if he wants him to cut his bonds, and that's the first line of dialogue in this whole sucker, and it happens at 9.30. So, mm-hmm. holy fuck. They are, man, what a sequence to start this thing out. All-timer. All-timer sequence. Yeah, I gotta ask. You're Boba Fett. You're under these circumstances. Clearly, you didn't have much of a long-term plan here, but whatever it was has gone awry. Do you do like he did and just try to make a run through the dunes and hope for the best? Do you stand your ground? Do you resubmit? What's your plan here under these circumstances? I probably would have stayed, but I could see the panic of just like, oh shit, and then just running. Um, He does later on say that he thought he could have got to a particular settlement and gotten off-world. We'll talk about that later. Anchorhead, I believe he said he could have. So maybe that's what he was going for here, but uh, me, I probably would have stuck around. I'd have probably, I, I, I probably wouldn't have gone for the cut the, the bonds Risky off. Risky move. Probably, yeah, I probably would have gone for the try to make friends with him, which he does later. Uh, so, um, well, he gets maybe two hundred yards as he tries to make a bolt across the dunes. Not helped by the fact that a fucking massive is now chasing him across the sand. Yeah, and eventually they said the. the Massive chases him, knocks him down. Group of Tuscans come up, and then we get a 1v1 with one of the Tuscan leaders. Boba fights valiantly, but eventually loses. Now, we know Boba is a very good fighter, so he's either completely physically out of it because he's getting crushed here, or this Tuscan can rumble. It's one of the two. I, I, I think both a combination of those two definitely true. I'll throw in a third option as well. We have no reason to believe that Boba has ever fought with a gaffy stick. And it seems like it's a bit of a specialty weapon in terms of, you know, the strategy and the moves you make. It seems pretty, like, almost defensive response kind of weapon in terms of the strategy that the other guy seems to be using when they're fighting him. Like Donatello. He's got the bow. And, very true. And, you know, we don't necessarily know that Boba Fett has any prior training in that kind of weapon. He certainly gives it a go, but as you said, he's picked apart. But the fact that Boba even tries to cut the Rodians uh, bonds or ask mm. that, you know, we talked about at the beginning of this episode, sort of the, the show rewriting this sort of idea of what the Tuscans are and making them more of a filled out full people with a culture, mm-hmm. etc. Right. They Rounded are. I, I believe if you want to criticize something about this show, they're rewriting Boba Fett because they are making Boba Fett a <laughs> righteous, righteous person. And I am not convinced that that was the original intent from that character. It feels like they're skipping like 15 years of Boba Fett character development that we saw in the expanded universe. Like when Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc pit, it was like the start of a, of a heel face turn kind of thing. It wasn't like it was already in progress. The guy was an asshole throughout most of the original moments we see him, particularly in the original films. And it took a long time for him to reach that kind of mixed anti-hero that fans really started to, you know, eat up and adore beyond just simply being badass looking and badass acting. Yeah, I mean, because they they have to explain something about why, because they made him part of the Mandalorian Avengers, gave him honor (laughs) in season two of Mandalorian, and he seemingly cared about Mando and Baby Yoda in a way that didn't really make a lot of sense when you compare to what What? Boba Fett used to be, so they're having to fill that that out a little bit to to create his character. They're starting him farther along. They didn't want to have to start at zero, it would have been too much of a walk. They're instead starting him about a third of the way there to make him then what we saw in the Mandalorian. Because you didn't want Clone Wars. I did but not know. In, in Clone Wars, we get Boba Fett. We had a whole storyline where young Boba Fett, baby, babe, not baby, but young Boba Fett, uh, actually captures Mace Windu. He and a, a gang of his his crew what? actually capture Mace Windu and almost kill him because uh, he has it out for Mace Windu after Mace for Windu kills obvious reasons. Django Fett. Yeah. Um, 
he's not a good guy in in Clone Wars as but he's young obviously but I'm just saying yeah. all of what we've gotten of Boba Fett up until John Favreau took the reins was that he wasn't a good guy and they are certainly changing that at least they're showing well we can debate what his particular reasons for wanting to help the Rodian were from a pure self-interest standpoint having two guys going across the sand having somebody there with you could have could have helped him survive or improved its odds a little bit maybe it's that but I'm kind of with you he seemed like he just did that out of this isn't this is a reasonable, honorable thing to do here. And they seem to be really playing that up this episode. That that's a kind of a foundational element of his character that we really hadn't been previously exposed to. But we'll see where it goes. Cut back to the back to tank to real life. Uh, and we get Finnick. And he, she says, wake up, boss. So Boba wakes up. Uh, he gets out of the back to says the dreams are back. Finnick sort of ignoring that says she time to go. They are lined up. The paper. Go ahead. Yeah, she doesn't seem to know how to, how to respond to that. It's like they've had this conversation before and she's very uncomfortable with it. Just kind of like, eh, eh, business. Yeah, it seems a little, little Spencer-ish. Little Spencer-ish wants to get right back to business. Let's <laughs> let's cut the personal talk. Yeah, she uh, seems uh, like she doesn't uh, really uh, want to get into his personal stuff with him. And it's interesting that Boba's offering that to her. Oh, who died? Oh, right. But, but, but we've got a podcast. Let, let's let's, yeah, let's yeah, do the yeah, podcast. Let, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, it seems like she just w- brushes it aside. And so I, I think we're going to get maybe... Um, interesting dynamic in their relationship hopefully um so she says time to go they're lined up to pay their respects i'll let them know you're on your way boba gets his armor on and um clearly doesn't care about the helmet thing like mando does which we got a little bit of that in Mandalorian season two but he does not need to keep his helmet he, on from Brown. he's not a member of that cult in any in any way those religious fanatics have nothing to do with him yeah. But I'm going to criticize, do a few little notes of criticism about this episode. Sure. Me, I absolutely adore the music that they do for this show. The It's wonderfully well done for what they do with this. This music felt a little melodramatic as they do his suiting up kind of armor thing. They made this very much just heavy notes, very much almost like the villain reveal kind of sound. And I know they wanted to make the return of Bubba the Fett and armor look, as, look and be as dramatic as they possibly could. This one didn't kind of perfectly land to me. It just kind of felt a little bit over the top. What, what were your thoughts on the music they threw in for this thing? I actually wasn't crazy about the music in the whole episode. Um, really? I thought it, yeah, I thought it was a little one note. Um, the, there wasn't a lot of range in the music that we were getting. It, it all sort of sounded of a piece. It, it um, sounded I wanted a little bit like, more variation. It sounded very much like traditional background Mandalorian uh, in terms of the music they like to use. It felt like their kind of standard fare. And this one... Which I, I like the Mandalorian background music. It suits me well. This one just felt a little bit out of place. Cut to the throne room. Some sort of species is standing there. Do you know what the species is of the first visitor? Uh, first species was... Um, it was the same guy that was, got his arm cut off in the cantina by Obi-Wan Kenobi. What's the name of that species? I'm blanking. I'm pulling it up. Okay. Uh, giving this. Boba a lot of coins. He finishes and Boba and Finnick recommend... Or comment that they did not catch much of that. So I guess they don't understand his language too well. A- Finnick says... Aqualish. Aqualish, got it. There you go. Uh, Fennec says, he said something about friendship. Boba says, we really need a protocol droid. This is funny because, Bo, uh, you know, obviously Jabba knew he needed one too, and that's why he stole C-3PO. Any, any self-respecting crime lord, first purchase to be a protocol droid. I mean, you move into a house, you buy a toilet plunger, you you, 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 you set yourself up as a mob boss, you got to get a protocol droid. Basic kind of advice right there. In this world, definitely, uh, because you're just getting so many different languages across the galaxy. Then uh, another droid. This is the droid, I believe, that was torturing other droids in Return of the Jedi. Um, what I, he looked vaguely familiar is that where that droid came from yeah so when um c-3po is getting like the tour of the place mm-hmm. um you 
he sees other droids being tortured. Um, it really did look like torture, and it was this droid that was that was doing it. And so this guy's obviously left over from Jabba's reign. I remember that one, like, like flipping that one cute uh, gonk droid mm-hmm. over and branding his feet. Excellent call, because that fits what we see of this guy in terms of recommending torture for all solutions later on. Exactly. He says, presenting Doc Strassi, leader of the Trandoshan family, protector of the city center and its territories. Mm-hmm. Um, Trandoshan, we have seen previously in Several Empire times. Strikes Back. Um, he was a, we had a Trandoshan Bobby. Bosk. Uh, b- yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, b- a bounty hunter. Uh, Finnick tells, Boba tells Finnick that it's weird. He used to actually work for this guy, Doc Strassi. Finnick comments, well, it's probably even weirder for him, which is true. A thousand tidings to you, new Diano. Do you know what this Diano uh, it's, it's Damio. It's oddly Japanese. It refers to a feudal Japanese lord back during the samurai period. I, I haven't seen that previously used on Tatooine before. Kind of struck me as being out of a place for it to kind of be thrown in here, but I'll check the lore and see if they previously had that kind of Japanese influence present. May you never leave Mos Espa, he tells Boba. He leaves. Boba says, even when a Trandoshan pays you a compliment, it sounds like a threat. That's funny. It, it, it really did sound like a threat. It really did like, yeah, we're burying you here. You're dying here. Nice. See you tomorrow. It seems to me like Boba has taken the throne over and the collective response is, mm, mm, I don't know. Like they don't well, seem, people don't seem immediately bought in that this guy's some sort of new mob boss or leader. And wow. he's going to have to earn his position, it seems. And that's what they're really setting up for the rest of the season. You've been the man behind the throne many times before. You've recommended and advised people about how to exert power. This particular throne room, how would you score it out of 10? Because it seemed like it was just Boba Fett and Fennec standing next to a chair and almost nothing else. There wasn't much of the pageantry of rule really going on here. Yeah, and it made me wonder, like, what, when Boba rolled up on that palace, like, what did Bib Fortuna have going on? Like, did he didn't was it, seem like was, much. It, was it empty like and it you know and if so maybe that explains why he's got to kind of build it back up but you know the way that boba is operating in this this timeline i can't imagine that anybody who was there with bib fortuna wouldn't have had a chance to stay in a very reasonable way um mm-hmm. and where are they gonna go just like walk out of Jabba's palace into the fucking desert like why wouldn't you stay so i don't know maybe maybe it was, this is just a function of the fact that bib fortuna had run this operation into the ground it really seems that way because it makes he has the kind of articles, he has the spear, as it were, in terms of taking over Jabba's palace. He's assumed the mantle, but it seems like he's got no ground game right now. He is starting from the utter dirt, trying to build it up right now. And even like his first day of greeters, not many people show up. And as we see with the next one, they're not that big about respect either for what this guy's now representing. The next one comes in, Mokshay's mayor of Mos Espa and its surrounding plateaus, but... Uh, Major Domo, actually. It's not the mayor. It is not the mayor. He ex- It's one of the mayor's minions, and he explains that there's been an understandable misunderstanding. Understandable this, misunderstanding. This guy's accent is perfect for, like, the mid-level bureaucrat that was sent to do this job. Apologies. Apologies. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's pretty... It, I think the actor did a good, does a good job with him. He explains the mayor's not coming. Just send him. Boba says, okay, well... Thanks for your tribute. Another understandable misunderstanding. Very understandable. I'm here to help you with this right now. Um, the only tribute he brings is the mayor's heartfelt welcome. <laughs> to which this is starting to 
this is one of the examples we get of so, some element of conflict and philosophy between Finnick and Boba, mm-hmm. of where yep. their mutual reaction to this, it's not exactly night and day, but it's clearly not on the same page. Anger and confusion. Anger from Fennec, yep. confusion from Boba Fett. So Boba says, uh, okay, fine, well, maybe next time. And he goes, actually, there's the issue of the tribute. And Boba's like, what are you talking about? What? I'm confused. And Fennec leans over and goes, he wants you to pay him. The l- amount of disrespect in this. This guy can waltz. This guy presumably doesn't have a death wish. And he seems like he's perfectly confident that he's going to walk out of this room alive. So the amount of disrespect from him to walk into the new mob boss's palace and then demand tribute from them and think there's going to be no repercussions for it is colossal. Yeah, the mayor must be very strong, right? Because um, we have seen these little, like, you know, uh, executives of municipalities in the Star Wars universe have varying degrees of strength. Some of them are yes. nothing but, you know, puppets that are just there to basically run, you know, some level of bureaucracy, but they aren't don't have any real political power or muscle. Seems like the mayor of Mos Espa does, and I think that's obviously going to come up again. So Boba, when, when Finnick tells him that, Boba has a great line here. He turns back to her and says, what? I'm the crime lord. He's supposed to pay me. <laughs> He's so offended by this. He gives a perfect little tone by it. It's like, this is not in the job description. I read Crime Lords 101. They said nothing about this. Shall I kill him? This is Finnick. He works for the mayor. Is that a no? It's a no. So, looks like this guy's going to get out easy. Finnick says, Lord Fett offers the gift of your exit unmolested. Woo! Good good line. Good line. And I like what you noted there, where it seems like that in the absence of Jabba Fett, really the kind of intergalactic crime bosses, the local leadership has really taken over and gained a fair amount of power that they didn't seem like they had before. Yeah, because Finnick makes the point. Like, this, yeah, uh, this is insane to her because this guy came in and said one sentence of this fucking diatribe to Jabba and he would have been whoop press the button whap down he goes Rancor eats him done like it would have been very quick but they've got a new monster in the Star Wars universe that they can put in that Rancor pit tomorrow and they should it really adds to the whole you know just image of the power and the guy's not done as he walks out he says I would not be surprised if you received another delegation in the near future whoop the second guy that he's been threatened by in his mini greeters Bob is having a rough day for being a crime boss. Well, he, he does get three. So two out of three. He gets, he gets, um, cause the first guy does just give him money and leaves. Um, so he, at least he has one guy who seemingly <laughs> understands that he's a crime boss. Um, during this Finnick, uh, well, Finnick says, I keep an eye on that one. Uh, or Boba says, keep an eye on that one. And Finnick says, I keep an eye on everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, then comes two Gamorians. I love these guys. Big fans of the Gamorians. Loved them from Return of the Jedi. I'm glad that they're making a return here. I, I like also that Fabro's keeping to the view of Gamorreans being much more physically fit. Back in Return of the Jedi, their main physicality was massive, fat pig person. These guys look like they can throw down, and we finally get to see them do it. Absolutely, we do. These guys were loyal to Jabba, and then subsequently loyal to Bib Fortuna. The droid says that he's going to torture them, but Boba says they don't torture. We do not torture under my reign. Droid says, well, you need to. Uh, that's how you get bases you of know, power. Yeah, base of power around here, Boba. He, now talking to the Gamorrean, sort of ignoring the droid. You are both loyal to your bosses. Would you be loyal to me if I were to spare you? Finnick leans over, says it's a bad idea. 
But I wasn't so sure about that on my first watching. I thought this was a good move by him. What did you think upon your first watching? I thought it was a good move, too. I thought it was understanding the Morians and their kind of principles here. Where these guys refused to accept new leadership, they were willing to fight and fight wherever else because they were sworn to a guy. So Bob right. was like, these guys are looking for someone to follow. They're looking for someone to swear to. I will give them a viable means of doing that, and they will have that same kind of loyalty to me that they clearly have had to their past leadership. I mean, I thought that, like, the people you need to watch out for are the people that the second you walk in and you say, I'm taking over, they go, I'm with you. Wonderful. I'm so happy. Let me, let me, yeah. let me you know, get your, yeah, it's the obsequient guys you need to be careful about. Yeah, the Gamorians who fought for their old boss until they were taken captive and now are willing to pledge allegiance to Boba. Those are the guys you trust. I saw that was a good move. And they do. They take a knee and they, they pledge their axe to Boba. And I, I appreciate this didn't blow up in Boba's face. Because if every aspect of his philosophy was quickly proven wrong, if Finnick was right, right in every point, that would get boring and frustrating pretty quick. The fact yeah. that Boba, though clearly in over his head, doesn't necessarily understand the whole crime boss thing that much, still has good instincts for, for you know dealing with these kind of things, it's a nice touch because there's a necessary amount of respect for what the character can do going forward. I agree. Cut to the city of Mos Espa, and Boba is in the city. He's paying a visit to one of the local proprietors it seems Finnick talks to him about why he isn't being carried on a litter this is a I guess like a sort of old Roman like carry you on your shoulders type deal through the city right it's the respect the entourage that you bring indicates how people should view you Boba says he won't be carried around the streets like a useless noble I like that shout out I'm, I'm a big fan she says, well, a, she says well it's a sign of strength and they're used to it uh, from the huts and she says things would go a lot smoother if you um, accepted their ways. Which is a fair point. You guy, you guy wants to bring a new message, wants to bring a new kind of kind of crime to this particular world. But it gives you a bit more of an uphill battle if you're not respecting the pageantry of power in a way that the locals understand it. Yeah. Inside the cantina, there's music playing. Spencer! Max Rebo! Max, Max Rebo's Rebo! back, my man! We He's there Rebo. at the keys! I was so and, happy. We got Max uh, Rebo. He clearly had traveled uh, from... He's traveling band. He's on tour of Tatooine. I'm not going to bury the lead. This is my nostalgia film of the episode. You see Max Rebo at the keys once again playing what is a very Carlos Santana version of the Cantina music. I was with it. You're so smooth. Yeah, I, dude, I thought this was fucking great to get Max Rebo back. With, with um, a bib right next to him, too. The whole band's getting back together. Yeah. Boba takes his helmet off, refuses drinks, and says that they're there for business. They're there to see Garza Fwip. Uh, who I did not know what to expect, was not expecting Sexy Twilight Madam. Didn't expect that from that name. Maybe should have. Yeah, Boba points out that business seems to be good around this place. Some folks ask Boba if they could clean and service their helmet. Fennec says no. Yeah. Boba says, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Seems like it, go, go it seemed like Boba understood what that conversation was better than Fennec necessarily about what they were actually offering. Boba says things will go a lot smoother if we accepted their ways. Do, do, do. It sounds like mm -hmm. me and you bickering with each other. Very um, much so. Asshole. Gar Garza comes in and Boba says she's not there for pleasure. He's not there for pleasure. He's there for business. He says it won't take long. He says he replaced Bib Fortuna. She says, well, apologies. I didn't see your litter. Boba's like, that's because I didn't have no damn litter. Mm -hmm. Motherfucker. Two feet, I walk on my own two feet. Baller line. Potential line of the episode. I walk on my own mm -hmm. two feet. Um, yeah. Man. Man in black. We need a Johnny Cash song for Boba Fett. <laughs> we I get at least a Johnny Cashy theme here. Uh, he says he's there to introduce himself and her business will continue to thrive under his watchful Absolutely. eye. She says, thank you. 
for making the long journey to our little establishment that is our little slice of paradise where you always welcome. And it's now yours. So she's, she, she I'm not sure. I, I, well, it, she seems slimy. Oh, we're yeah, going to get but, into what we think she does later in this episode, but she says the right things to Boba in the moment. She's respecting what the scene is and what it requires of her. And she, in some ways she, while she's caught off guard, about, got caught off guard about it. She's at least openly respecting the idea that he would come in person to her establishment to, you know, reestablish a connection in context. And she offers the necessary, uh, tokens of appreciation before he leaves too. Yeah. They get their helmets back. And, uh, Fennec says yours is a lot more shiny than mine. Why? Because Boba's helmet has a, it's just full of coins. She just quite paid a few. Yeah, just a helmet full of coins. Outside, Boba explains to Finnick that Jabba had many vassals, and they have a lot of ground to cover if they're going to keep that whole empire intact, which makes a lot of sense that, you know, Jabba is a part of the Hutt family and the Hutt oh, yeah. crime lord. Uh, Interplanetary crime, crime organization. Absolutely. And so, you know, he probably was able, you know, you made the point on the last podcast, but the last podcast we did was a trailer review of the Book of Boba Fett, uh, that maybe Jabba's seat of power, quote unquote, really shouldn't have been Tatooine because he probably had, Tatooine's not a rich planet and it's an outer rim territory. He probably had, you know, a, a presence all over the place that was, that was not just on Tatooine. And that would make a lot of sense. And, and so that would tell me that Jabba probably through three different ways, I'm going to say three different ways, had a very big, large, sprawling empire. One is through the connections of his family. Two, through just time. He just did this mm -hmm. for a long time. And three, through force of personality. Jabba wasn't bad at his job. Absolutely not. So, you know, it, do, it does make sense that they're looking at a pretty daunting task to try to keep the entire Jabba empire intact. If I was them, I would, look, this is my management style, Spencer. I'd peel yeah, it back a little bit. I'm realistic. I'd say, you know what? If we can keep about 50% of Jabba's folks together and, and create our, at least when we're starting our little organization, I'd say that's a win for us. Well, it seems like at present, they're just aiming at Tatooine. They're starting here. This is the new base of operations. This is here from which they expand. And I think, like you said, that is a reasonable kind of focus. Whether that's even too broad of a start, well, we get some threats of that before even this episode's done. And, uh, yeah, Boba says, um, uh, Finnick points out Jabba rarely left his chambers and I can make the rounds. She's basically telling Boba, I'll make the rounds for you. Yeah. He rarely left his chambers. Now we do see that Jabba did go in to, um, I think the it was Mos Eisley. We, we get the one added scene that was in a deleted scene or added scene or it, however it, you want to say it. Uh, yeah. yeah, of Jabba basically accosting Han as he was getting ready to get into the Millennium Falcon, saying, hey, motherfucker, you owe me some money. What is happening to you? Uh, so he did leave his palace from time to time. We do have mm -hmm. that in canon. Uh, much as you may not like it, that scene has been added since the original uh, film. I, I, and it is canon now. It was my favorite added scene in The New Hope, but I thought it was still solid enough. Maybe a little bit overly comedic, but whatever. It did clearly establish that though Jabba doesn't travel much and seems like he struggles with it, he was physically capable of doing so and at least would occasionally do that to represent his power. So it's not entirely new that we see uh, Boba Fett wanting to do the same. Right. So it might have been something Boba could have pointed out if he'd known it. 
But anyway, they have a great back and forth. This is a back and forth we got in basically every single trailer. Boba says, Jabba ruled through fear. I intend to rule through respect. Finnick, if I may, in difficult times, fear is a sure bet. I'm not sure fear is a sure bet. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that with Finnick. Um, uh, well, we, we can have a very Machiavellian discussion on exactly this topic. It's kind of what they're channeling right now. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that that is the case long term, but then they are attacked. We have a actual uh, action sequence here. Spencer, who did the attack? Do you think Garson uh, had anything to do with this? I don't know. I could not be sure. I think in some ways it might be the mayor's people, given what that we heard in the prior scene. But there's no... There's no livery on these assassins that I clearly recognized. I would recommend to them, though, that if there is a dial setting on their little cattle prods that they're using, up that shit. You're clearly using too much of the I'd like to kind of ruffle the outside of your clothing setting on these shock rods they're using. Yeah, I think they bought their, they bought their practice bows. Um, I don't think it was Garza, because I think if it was Garza, she would have had someone there ready to take back the coins that she gave him. When the helmet goes flying, it's the Jawas that take the coins. Right. They're just Jawas that just emerge from the sand. If I was Garza and I had somebody going to attack them later, I'd send somebody out there to go get my money back. So that that part didn't line up to me. I think you're right. I think it was the mayor's people. I think Garza also would have been a little bit more subtle about it, too. She seems more like a poison and cloak and dagger kind of means of handling this rather than straight up nine people in the streets go after a dude. Yep. And... So the folks attacking them have these big shields that are a real problem for them because they're very, very, very Gungan yeah. kind of shields that they're bringing out too. Yeah. Finnick tries climbing them at one point because they basically, they, they, these guys seem to know how to fight because they, they, they do. just completely surround them and they're just doing the sort of like uh, from the battle of the bastards, uh, the Bolton army. Yes. Uh, Boxing them in. Uh, <sighs> like one no pi- step forward, one step forward. Yep. No pile of corpses, but everything else, they've got Jon Snow and gang boxed in right here. And it's not looking good at first. These guys work very well as a team. Finnick tries to climb them, which I thought was a good move, but she couldn't quite that- get high enough. She's like steps up, like trying to run up a wall and she can't quite get up. So Finnick is doing what she can to try to get out of this thing, but they are stuck. And is that the Gamorrean's music? Charging in to save the day. They come in, Boba, 100% right. Bang! Gets a an early win by sparing the Gamorrean's life. They come in, attacking from the back. These are the Knights of the Vale in to rescue our heroes. And they attack and from I, the back, breaking the line. And I like, they're not just like lumbering doofuses either. These guys actually throw down pretty well. They fight really well. They actually hold their own against these guys. I think they both survive too, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. And um, he is, so Boba, they, they, they fight. But eventually Boba and Finnick and the two Gamorreans get the upper hand and the guys retreat. But this is not before Boba gets shocked multiple times. One time in a pretty badass way, uh, they're bringing down this sort of like stun spear staff thing to hit him. And mm-hmm. Boba just catches it, taking the shock all into the energy his hand into as he pushes it back up and whacks that motherfucker. Um, so Boba, And then, they, then he gets jammed one more time before these guys take off and it puts Boba down on the ground. Uh, officially, I looked it up. These are called plasma pikes, which is not necessarily the best name for them. But yeah, these are these are apparently called plasma pikes. Plasma pikes, eh? Pike, yeah, it's kind of lazy. Pretty lazy. Yep. Um, he ends up hurt, uh, but as one of the attackers are getting away, Boba shoots one of those little wrist rockets at him, disintegrating Brutally. the guy. Just gone. It's debris <laughs> raining down from the sky. <sighs> Done. Just get. There's not a person there anymore. This man is and. Credit to the actor. Mort Morrison has done wonderful with Boba Fett. He's been a oh, great, great addition since the Absolutely great. 
the the anger he brings when he's attacking and just the just almost rage he's doing when he's just slaughtering this guy is great. So wonderful with the physicality of this character. Absolutely consistent with what we saw from Boba Fett in the uh, prequels and in Clone Wars and in season two of Mandalorian. Finnick mm-hmm. goes to chase them. Boba says, alive. Um, <laughs> her chase, eventually she gets two and she looks at them and it's funny because she's like, mm, not taking you both in and just chucks one over the, over the wall what? of the, the, the roof they're on. Yeah. That, that was a very parkour kind of chase above the, above the uh, streets of Moscow. Parkour, parkour, parkour. Yeah. Very much that, yes. Wanted to give you that reference. Was um, Boba Fett telling Finnick alive a bit of a reference to Darth Vader pointing at Boba Fett saying, no disintegrations? Maybe. Yeah, that might be a little nostalgic moment of the episode because, yeah, Boba does do back, some yeah. disintegrations. Yeah, and he did right there. Uh, but, yeah, she says alive. She's not going to take two in. She throws one off, presumably, to take the other one with them. Um, so I he think she does take one. one in. I do think she does take one in alive from what Very we can so, see yeah. on screen. Then cut to Boba being dragged back to the back to tank. This is the point you were pointing out. Now, I, here's the thing. Here's the th- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slightly disagree with something you said earlier. I what? think Boba takes more damage than Finnick does. So I if, think he takes a bit more, yeah. So it would seem to me that maybe this isn't, it could be, it very well could be, but it could be that he's just hurt and like legitimately needs the back to tank this time. Well, I, I don't know. He, he's certainly hurt. He certainly legitimately needs the back to beyond dispute. Question of relative amounts of damage. I agree that Boba Fett took some direct more hits. As you said, he had that powerful one just taking it into his body as he's going. But Finnick took more than a few shots herself and she's straight up parkouring over the streets of Mos Espa before she's done. We also have this- to remember that Fennec is a Darth Vader-esque character. Yeah, her her whole insides, she, her whole gut is, yeah. is, is like mechanized at this point. So I don't know how that affects her. Whatever. One thing to note, though, is he's being brought in. Continued loyalty to the Camorians. Not only did they save him, now they are making sure that he lives when they're in personally bringing him to the back to tank and setting him They could have very easily chopped his head off here um, and just killed him. At but any no. point. Nope, but they have sworn their fealty to him, so they will fight for him. Shout out to the Gamorians. You want them on your side. Ride or die. They're, he's back in the back to tank. We go back to the dream sequence, and that's how we close out this episode. Cut to Boba as a hostage. He's being he's tied up on a stake uh, with the Tuscans, and one of the Tuscans untie him and takes him and the Rodian on a walk. We're going on a walk. This guy looks like a teenager to me. This doesn't look and like the same kid. It looks like a younger, maybe 18 to 22-year-old Tuscan. I thought it was maybe the same kid. Cause it, I, th- I think it's the same kid because he was dressed very similar. I also think it was notable that when Boba Fett was escaping, there was that one kid that he had the opportunity to just brain as he was trying to get away from them and chose not to. And it seemed like that kid has been kind of looking after and staring at him a sense of where this guy had an opportunity to kill me and he didn't. Let's explore a little bit more of this relationship. So if you're, you're so you very well could be right. If you're right, then my previous analysis i'm gonna i'm gonna change right i don't think he's eight nine years old if i the who which whichever 12, tuscan whichever tuscan took the, them on this walk is at least over 10 years old i gotta say right i mean yeah. like, to be able to do this um I, it seems yeah. adolescent of where hey kid similar to take this is their equivalent of taking out the garbage take the slaves and go harvest some water yeah the dog comes with them and eventually they get to a lookout and they crawl down and look over to see a house, someone's house, and they are getting robbed. And eventually they are the person who owns this little outpost home, the uh, urban, urban hosta house, urban Airbnb for Tatooine gets kicked, beaten. And the people marking the house mark it with J, what looks like JL. 
They tag it in some way like that. Yeah, I hadn't really seen that symbol before. I don't know what that signal is, but it looks like a like a JL, but it's kind of like mashed together. Um, the, looks the, like you know what it looks like. It looks like something that could be on the back of a like a like a casino like poker chip. Very much, it looks like that. It's even got the kind of swoop thing to fit the circular shape. Very good call. Would we agree that this looks a lot like they say the Lars Moisture Farms? This is some some, some yeah, outlying it's a farm kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is somebody who who has some sort of operation to even be able to live out in this area. But just like the Lars is, you know, you are sitting ducks when you have this sort of operation out there. Absolutely. After they leave, the teenage Tuscan takes them walking, and they keep walking. And eventually, tells Boba Fett and the Rodian to start digging. Boba's like, "What the fuck? What do you want me to do? You want me to dig?" But they start Rodian, digging. Rodian asks no questions. Rodian just starts digging. Yeah. What do they find here? What are they finding? I, I have a theory, but like, you you tell me what you think. What it, it, whatever it is, it's holding moisture. So it either is animal or plant. Given what they now find a little bit later around it, I'm leaning toward animal, almost like egg. Yeah. Well, I thought I'm it was eggs. Sure. I thought it was eggs, and I think that that shows the inexperience of this person who's bringing them around because obviously where there are eggs, there's typically a mother. So I thought it was eggs and I thought it was just a, a, a mistake by this kid to not be a little bit more aware of what they were going after. There was almost some implication to me that the kid didn't necessarily get permission to go off and do this. He just, just kind of decided he was going to do it. He yeah, rapidly maybe. seems over in over his head and very inexperienced. So Boba starts, he gets one, he starts to drink it. The teenage Tuscan goes to hit him. Boba catches the stick. Careful, yuggling. Yuggling. Um, yeah, youngling. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool um, that he basically is like, hey, at any point I could turn this. Like, I'm choosing to stay with you at this point right. is basically the message that he shows. Him. <laughs> it has been my interest not to kill you right now, just like it wasn't yesterday. So let's just keep track of what our roles are. They keep digging and Boba chastises the Rodian for ratting on him earlier. Says it could have gotten them to Anchorhead. This is another city in Tatooine. And could have mm -hmm. gotten them off world. So I guess Boba has some sort of either a ship. Maybe that's where Slave One is, say Anchorhead. Because we know Slave One is very much alive and well because we see it later in season two of Mandalorian. At, the, at a minimum, he's got connections there. He seems confident that if he can just make it to Anchorhead, all will be, all will be well. But Rodian has not been accommodating that well. Yeah, Rodian finds a few more, but eventually hits some sort of lizard limb. At first, I thought it was a fossil. Mm -mm. Not so much. <clears throat> I, I was thinking this, I, I, like you, I first thought this was like the fossil of a crate dragon kind of thing underneath yeah. the sand. Mm -hmm. Instead, we get something I don't... You you know the expanded universe better than I do. Have we ever seen this six-armed, legged monstrosity before in Star Wars? I've never seen it before. Be honest with you, you know, I think we, you know, I think this is so funny how our reactions are. Because your reaction is, I've never seen this before. Lee knows the expanded universe of me better than me. Maybe Maybe he knows it. I saw it and said, I don't know what this is. I bet it's from a video game. I bet it's from a video game. As far as I know, game. it isn't, no. And maybe Spencer I, knows. So I, I don't know. I, Neither one of us has seen it before. I was not able to find anything in it, um, the research I saw about it about what this is. It, it looked very like an homage to that kind of stop motion animation of like Ray Harryhausen. It looked very Clash of the Titans or 20 Million Years to Earth, which is appropriate. Those were both inspirations sure. for George Lucas. But whatever else we want to say about whether it's got history or not, Damn terrifying once this thing gets in motion. It's six legs, and it can walk upright or run on all six. Terrifying combination. And it attacks and kills the Rodian pretty quickly. Swats the dog, is about to kill the youngling Tuscan, and Boba jumps on its back and strangles it with a chain. Very reminiscent of Leia killing Jabba. Yeah. 
you can't tell me that's not an intentional homage right there. Hundred percent, it is of of Leia killing uh, Jabba the Hutt yep. with a chain. And uh, de- yeah, decided mm-hmm. lack of bikini though. I, I think that was a major oversight on their part. Tamora Morrison looks good. Does not look as good as Carrie Fisher did, <laughs> circa 1982. Yeah, fair um, point. Yeah, they go back into camp. The young wing has the creature's head. He's getting cheered, clearly taking the credit for this. You can see him telling the story. He's even like motioning him about on the, the back. He's like, "Here's the chain, like like the chain that he's doing. He's doing the motion with the chain." And, and Boba's standing behind them. Yet another sequence where we're seeing the kindness of Boba. Right? He could be. He could be upset about this. He seems to have a little bit of zen about it. He's just kind of like, yeah, look at the kid having a good time. Like, he doesn't even seem upset that the kid's taking credit for this or lying about it or whatever. He's got a little bit of inner peace about it. I like that. Tamora plays that well. As much as he has that rage in the action sequences, the moments where he's supposed to show zen, bliss, comfort, calm, he can exude Mm -hmm. that really well on screen, and he does so. But the head of the Tuscan group walks up, kind of shadows Boba, Goes shoulder to shoulder with him, gives them a look over, and hands him a drink. And I believe that the gesture is meant to imply that he knows that that kid didn't fucking kill that thing. Um, because it seems that that creature is well known among the Tuscans. Because when he brings the head in, everybody's looking at it like, holy fuck, how did you do that? And, it, you know, obviously it looks like Boba's going to get the credit here from the people who matter. It almost, it was all... Almost the level of reaction we saw the Tuscans do in the second season of Mandalorian when they pull out that massive crate Dragon Pearl. It, it seems like it's that kind of level of value in their community that, oh dear God, how did you take out that thing? It also, both the fact that he comes back voluntarily with the kid and you know, has this kind of quiet, peaceful moment, it seems that Boba has adopted a much, a different, a different strategy for getting away from these people. He's no longer just going to try to make a run across the sands. He seems willing to bide his time more. Because as we noted... If he wanted to just kill and leave that kid in the sand back when he was first harvesting the things, he could have. That was an option. Doesn't seem like he wants to go that particular tact anymore with this. Nothing else. He has no idea how to to get back to um, anything resembling civilization. Well, yeah, he maybe doesn't know how to get to Anchorhead anymore. But the the connection, um, they're they're having to connect this sequence to what we saw in Mandalorian Season 2. And it does seem that Boba was at least armed with Tuscan things. He had a gaffy stick. He had Absolutely. the the sort of um, cloak that the Tuscans had. So when we saw him in that season one uh, reveal, season, or season two, episode one reveal in Mandalorian of, oh my God, Boba Fett's still alive. Look at him on that sand dune washing Mando. He was outfitted in Tuscan stuff. So they had to connect that, that dot. Remind me of the timeline. How many years after Return of the Jedi is second season of Mandalorian? Is it seven years or is it five years? Somewhere around there? Um, yeah, they, they told it. I thought it was between five and ten, something like that. Okay, so there there is a long period of time we still have to go through here. Because when we're seeing Boba Fett in this immediate flashback with the Tuscan people is like presumably not that long after Return Two, of three the Jedi. weeks. Can't yeah, I think he long. lives with the Tuscans for a long time is what it seems like. Yeah. And becomes respected and integrated into their culture. From what we saw of his weaponry and attire and general persona in, in, uh, in Season 2 Mandalorian. Yeah, I agree. And that, my friend, is the end of the recap. Easiest notes I've ever done on a Mangum Talks <laughs> podcast. Uh, not a lot. What'd you say? You, you have the script. What'd you say? Six notes of dialogue or six, scene, uh, six pages of dialogue? Is that what you said? If, if even that. Yeah, I'm breezing through it right now. It is a lot of grunting. It is a lot of alien noises. It's just what it says in brackets on this thing. Yeah, it is, man. It is funny. Uh, not a lot of, you know, it's a it's a very interesting episode of television. It's a it lot was- of action, a lot of nonverbal stuff, and it all worked for me. I really, really did like it. What'd you think? 
I think honestly for a lot of these scenes, dialogue would have felt unrealistic and taken me out of what they were actually filming. That th this was more effective if we just show me what the characters are doing, show me the show me the landscape, I'll get it. I can put together the events without that much effort. I don't need you to narrate them for me or get constant spoken interior monologue the way that, the way that could often be done. This was more effective. We've got some quibbles about some of the scenes or some of the directions they're going with certain characters. Even adjustments they're making to make certain characters maybe a little bit more likable than otherwise they would be. Mm -hmm. But in terms of filmmaking, I thought this was a very successful episode. I think Complete it sets a good foundation for where they're going next with the plot line. Completely agree. Okay, do you want to get to our segments? I'm ready for you. Cool. All right. So the first segment we have is line of the episode. I have got four knees. <laughs> what do you have? I've got three, and uh, I could also do a fourth, but it, it, there were, there's not much competition in this episode. It was pretty dialogue light. I'm yeah. happy to start off if you like, though. Yep, fire away. Uh, badass line from Finnick, Lord Fett offers the gift of your leave unmolested. That's a great way of implied death threat without saying it clearly. I thought that was well said. I agree. Uh, before that, I'm going to go with we really need a protocol droid. <laughs> Good line. Uh, this is a very much, I think, it seems like they're setting up a degree of philosophical tension about what kind of crim criminal empire these two main characters want to set up, and I can imagine they're going to butt heads a bit more over time, or at least disagree, but I think the summary of that is, Jabba ruled with fear, I intend to rule with respect, Finnick interrupting, if I may, in difficult times, fear is a sure bet. That seems like it's going to be the philosophical tension throughout this season, and even probably inside Boba Fett himself, so I think it's an important line. Yeah, I've got what? I'm the crime lord. He's supposed to pay me. <laughs> Funny line. Uh, Fennec, alive. Good understanding of two characters. We we have not seen much of the two of them together. A lot of it's mostly been implied. And that's a good line to suggest how well Boba Fett knows her from their time together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Boba, I wasn't carried on a litter. I walk on my own two feet. A powerful line and one that well represents the character and what he's trying to stand for. I like that line quite a bit. Uh, that That's it for me, though. Okay, um, I think we are going to go with best line of the episode. First episode, chapter one, Book of Boba Fett. First chapter, I'm going. With, I'm not going to go with the one that was in you know the the one that you the pointed trailer. out that was in all of the trailers. I'm going with a different one. What? I'm the crime lord. He's supposed to pay me. When I said that one, you kind of went, "Uh, oh, funny line." Here's why I picked it because Please. it shows the ignorance. Of Boba and how new he is to this, and that's extremely important for where this this is going. This encompasses where I think the plot is going, which is Boba going. Okay, I think basically what we're going to get is a bunch of episodes early on of Boba going. Okay, I th I think a crime lord is supposed to do this, so I'm going to do mm -hmm. this. Like I think that's yeah. kind of what he's going to be doing for a while. What I think this is one thing that I felt a little bit mixed about the prequels is if I thought they were a little bit too soon in time compared to the main trilogy given what, what the main trilogy kind of implied about how long ago events were in the past and so as a result of that Boba Fett's a bit younger really here than we kind of expected him to be in the original films and so I think it effectively plays into the guy really hasn't necessarily worked at like crime bossy level ever before in his career he's worked for crime bosses he's never tried to pick up that mantle himself no. and so we both see with that and even him kind of saying, this is weird, I used to work for that guy. They're really building in, this is very foreign territory for him, and he's kind of having to learn as he goes. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's that's going to be the whole genesis for this, right? This is the whole point of these these chapters of the Book of Boba Fett, is 
this isn't going to be a just sort of whoop, I step in, bam, I know exactly how this works. I'm going to do it. There's going to be some growing pains and that's what we're going to get early on. And I'm excited to see it. So that is best line of the episode. Let's go to nostalgic moment of the episode. You already revealed yours. Back to Rebo. It, it, it was so great seeing that. It just shows just what respect our creators of the show have for just the expanded universe and all the characters in it. That they would just drop that in. No focus. No, hey, Max Rebo's back. Yay. Just, he's part of the world. He's still working. He's still doing a great job. He, he's united. He may even have a traveling band that works between various establishments. Maybe he's on an extended contract. Who knows? Mm. Still, great to see those kind of references back to the old, old world and old universe. Absolutely. Yeah, Ticketmaster. Get on Ticketmaster. Get your Max Rebo tickets. He is on tour of Tatooine, ladies and gentlemen. No, he's a madman on the keys. Yeah, crushing it. Max Rebo. That's a very good one. Uh, mine's going to be the Gamorreans. Gamorreans, um, yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, they, they, I had their, I had the Gamorrean action figures growing up, you know, from Jabba's Palace, uh, you know, playing the Star Wars, now defunct Star Wars um card game the gaborians were were a card <laughs> in that they were like a very easy to to use um they were just they're around and I, I i love that we continue to in the mandalorian establish that these alien species that and I, we shouldn't even really call them alien because they're alien implies that they're they're somehow like different that 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 is a very like human-centric model and in this world humans are just one of many um, so, you know, the, the, the non-human species that interact with humans on a one V one level mm -hmm. all have their own culture and Gamorreans seemingly have theirs too, right? They, 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 these guys are smart. They can fight. They're good shape and they are loyal. And they, I mean, what else do you want? It, it feels like at times that Favreau and Filoni want to take characters that have become unfortunately one note in the star Wars universe, never intended to be, but we we saw we saw them initially they were so Im visually striking that they became immediately associated with that and nothing else which i don't think was ever intended and they're determined to give them a much more rounded complete kind of backstory and characterization gamorians are a great example tuscans people are another yep. incredible example in the series and jawas uh, a little bit remember because Jawas we saw too. That, because we saw in the marshal that jawas when they they don't destroy they scavenge and so they mm -hmm. were able to put the ship back together we got a wonderful Indiana Jones scene too of when uh, our our main character I I'm suddenly blanking on his real name but Man Mando is trying Jin to get Jaren. back what, thank you he's trying to get back what it was stolen by the Jawas and he is trying to scale this thing as the Jawas are very successfully finding him off these guys deserve a certain measure of respect and also a certain measure of concern yeah I thought it was great uh, yes yeah, so a shout out to the fact that they are fleshing out the Gamorreans a little bit giving them a real personality and something that we can they can then play on as the episode goes on and probably the season they're making making it make sense why somebody like Jabba would hire these guys other than just for the visuals they're loyal they're competent and they will fight or die for you absolutely yeah so that's my nostalgic moment of the episode now we're going to go to the brand new segment we've never done that before here on Mangum Talk Star Wars and that is the we're gonna do um, Joaquin Phoenix in the uh, in the Gladiator, down down in the pit with the thumb. Is it a down thumb, a sideways thumb, or an up thumb? Okay, meaning, that's how we're doing it. I understand. Meaning, is this episode worse than the the quality we're used to for Mandalorian, on a par, sideways thumb, or better? I'm gonna to go to you first. What is I... your ranking of this episode? On a par with a little. I would say I'd say with a broad kind of statement on a par. I don't think it's it, it rises to the heights that we've seen in the Mandalorian yet, but I think it's still a very competent, solid episode. And I'll give it that. I think it is 
representative, even if it could definitely aspire farther, um, higher as time goes on. Sideways thumb for me. Uh, it is on a par with quality of Mandalorian, and that is a big compliment for me. I it will is. say this. Here's what, This is just a programming note. Uh, Lucasfilm, I know you listen to our podcast. Um, Catherine Ken- Kathleen Kennedy, um, who, who runs Lucasfilm and, and Star Wars Empire. I, I know she's a big fan. So I just want to give her some notes here. Um, here's here's a, maybe a way you could have done this. This episode was a lot of flashback and a lot of filling out the story that is nostalgic for Star Wars fans and necessary for this story and plot, but not a lot occurred in our normal timeline. It might have been a good idea to do a two episode release for the first week to give us another another one that that actually starts to progress some of the current timeline uh, events because this fell a little stagnant for a casual. I bet casuals weren't as crazy about it as you and I are. It would have been nice to do a one-two episode release. Amazon's Wheel of Time did that. They did one, two, three the first week. I thought that was a little much because those are hour episodes. Yeah, but the yeah, whole yeah. but the whole point was to try to get you locked in, sucked into this world for the later weeks. Um, you know, trying to do the 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 best of both worlds between binge washing and week by week by week. I think they could have done two episode release, and it would have been better for the fans for this. That's just my thoughts. I think it's a reasonable call. I, to any degree, are they hamstrung there by how short the season is? This is only a seven-episode season. We're Seven-episode right? season, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in some ways they want to kind of space it out so that they can buy time for the additional material to come out later in the season. But I agree with you. As much as, as, much as I thought this was a very solid episode, giving us a two-parter just so we can get a mix between the flashback and current events, I think it, I think it might have sold it a little bit better. Though I... I'm curious to what degree this can be representative. Are we going to be almost evenly grounded in the present and the past when it comes to this show? Because in terms of screen time, what would you say? Was this 60-40 flashback versus present or something close to that? Maybe even 70-30. It was more flashback yeah. than present, I think. Yeah, so hopefully next week. I'm, I'm okay with even more flashbacks to flesh out like what happened with him and the Tuscans and maybe his rise up through the ranks of the Tuscans a little bit. But we're going to need some present day stuff and they're going to get there. This is not going to be just flashback. This is a kind of like just set the groundwork first episode type deal, I think. The show, these guys always continue to surprise me with what originality they can bring to things. I would worry if they do too much flashbacks on the Tuscan people, though. That feels like it's going to be kind of rote. I've seen a lot of the movie of, you know, the foreigner gets integrated into the native society kind of thing, and I'm curious how much new they can really do with that. I think they can do more new things with the present than that kind of backstory. The only way it would work is if he got into some things with the Tuscans that are relevant to what he's doing now. Yes. To either show his injuries, maybe he got injured with the Tuscans, and that's why he needs to be in the back to tank. Or maybe he, you know, fucked around and was in different parts of Tatooine with them and did, participated in raids with them that come mm-hmm. up later um, in his interactions with some of the leaders in Tatooine cities. Yeah, like that, that could be important. So I agree with you. It shouldn't just be flashbacks for the main purpose of showing him rise up through the Tuscan ranks only for, you know, minutes upon minutes. I agree. Some of some of that in the second episode might be okay, but if they're going to do much more of that, it needs to connect to the current timeline. As you just said, I will be very disappointed by the end of the season, if, assuming they're all still alive, assuming they weren't killed off at some point in their past. If the Tuscans don't rally behind Boba's cause to in some way be a basis of his support of rising through the criminal ranks. 
Yeah, this is this is Daenerys keeping the Dothraki army with her, right? Like it's like <laughs> yeah, the other like the 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 sort of like nomadic folks that you mm-hmm. aren't a part of, but you gain their respect, like become a part of your larger army when you assume power later on. This is something we've seen in fantasy stories before. It, it's um, a trope. It'd be it'd be great if if that was a part of this. I agree with you. That would that would nail it for me. That would be very good. Okay, I think that we've finished up our segments. Any other concluding thoughts about this? Chapter one, A Book of Boba Fett, Stranger in a Strange Land. It is a surprisingly confident bit of filmmaking to start off this new series, and it gives me good hopes for what's going to come next. Yeah, I mean, I think that all of these series are basically being uh, run by the same creative team. And for the most part, I think Andor might be different, but for the most part, they are. And it just shows that they know what they're doing. They're making good fucking television. They know where they're going with these stories. They're telling great stuff. Um, you know, we all wanted to know what the fuck happened to Boba Fett when he after he got dropped into the Sarlacc pit. We finally get it in canon on screen. So thank you for that. I do appreciate it. That is it. That is a checkbox for us Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. That is it. That is the first episode in the books in the books for book of boba mm-hmm. fett we have finished our review here on mangum talk star wars if you enjoyed this podcast we're glad we are not professional podcasters we do not get paid for this that's why you didn't get hear any ads that's why you're not having to subscribe to patreon to get our stuff or anything we are amateur <laughs> podcasters we do this because we think that some people like it we have some people who've told us they enjoy it so that's why we make time to schedule this to record it to put it out so if you enjoyed it it would do a big solid for us if on whatever podcast platform you're on if you could just give us five stars or whatever the highest rating is to help us move up the ladder a little bit in the search ranking so that more people can find our stuff that's all i ask of you this week we will be back with you next week to review chapter two until next time see you